Hello, and welcome to the Atelier Forum podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Bauman, and in this episode, I'm talking to a really brilliant portrait artist. His name is Tom Root, of the very many interesting things that he shared during the interview. I thought it was particularly useful the way that he described his trajectory from being a student who knew nothing about painting, all the way through to being a professional who's been working in the industry for decades. Every professional has a version of this story, but what I liked about Tom's was that he wasn't the perfect student and his path to becoming a pro was not necessarily a straight line. It seems like there was a lot of intuition and a lot of following his gut, and I can really get behind that. Now, you mentioned when you got to Sarasota, you were eager to kind of get into that world and, as you said, uh, get some rubber to meet the road. Uh, right. In terms of, of thinking about what you wanted to do moving forward, it was at that point, I guess, it would have dawned on you that being a professional artist was a career that you could explore. I, I have a bunch of questions about right. uh, Sarasota, actually, because you won't know this, but I'm from Miami originally, and oh. I went to school in North Florida at a very small town. I mean, so incredibly small, I'll be shocked if you've heard of it. It was a very small town called Palatka, Florida, in between St. Augustine and you, <laughs> I'm sorry that you have to know Palatka. It's a terrible no, little town. No, no, no. <laughs> the St. John's River. Sure, I know Palatka. Pe so, my wife, Peggy, okay, she enters this right. picture. That was my girlfriend and mm -hmm. my art school girlfriend, whose father okay. was an artist and part of this whole Sarasota art scene. And by the way, Peggy had an uncle who lived in Palatka. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I've been to Palatka a few times. Sorry. Okay. So back to, to Sarasota for, for a moment, just to, to focus in on that. Now, being that I've spent time in both North and South Florida, I've, I've passed through the area several times and we went to actually visit. There was an art college fair at, at Ringling that we went to it at one point. Um, right. And they had the museum that's there in town. Is it the Ringling Museum? Am I, am I remembering that yeah. right? Yep. Did they at the time have the life-size bronze of Michelangelo's David there? Yeah, absolutely. It, I remember being incredibly impressed by the collection and impressed by finding it in Sarasota. When you were, I guess, uh, that age, are you probably moving around Florida a little bit, visiting different places? I know Peggy is a avid plein air painter. You, you guys must have traveled around a little bit. Did you find that Sarasota was a strange kind of enclave of fine art or, or at least a community that, that had invested something in that as opposed to other areas around it? Or oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was delightful. One, Peggy's from Sarasota, so she was a guide to, uh, to all this. And yeah. as I said, and her father was a painter, and he had painter friends. And, uh, and so Sarasota was an art colony, had been, in a, in a loose sense. Just a lot of different artists lived there. It was a wonderful world to get into. And then with her, her father was an outdoor painter, primarily a landscape painter. Still is at 94. Yeah, still going out to paint. He has macular degeneration. But but man, you know, even even being blind in, in the center and his work's gotten pretty fuzzy, I guess you would say. But uh, but it's still it still has atmosphere and space and walkable ground and all this and and uh, like a unity to it and all this stuff that it's just like, mm. oh, man, why can't I paint like that? But he had this huge enthusiasm, which Peggy had for being out of doors and 
and and just you know getting out in the early morning and painting and wow isn't that beautiful look at the light hitting all that on this mm. this was just opened my eyes to the, the joy of observation and art making and as mm. you know as just this thing to do during the day now speaking of all that you of course went to Sarasota to study at the uh, at the it's the is it Ringling is that am I yeah, right Ringling, yeah. Ringling School of Art at that time it was called now this would have been uh, around 76 I don't know if you're 18 19 somewhere in that era I I have the impression overall that was kind of the beginning of a relatively great decline in uh, the pursuit of realist painting in academia yeah. in America was that am I am I correct first in like yes. perceiving that and and what was your experience going in? It would be very difficult to recreate that uh, that world that it was very loosey goosey. Yeah, there was abs a lot of abstraction happening, mm -hmm. which I was okay with. Um, I had after three years, it was still figure drawing and that kind of thing happening. Um, uh, painting class was, was for the most part, you're in a big room with a lot of people with a big North light skylight and lamps and you can set up a still life or you can do this if you want, or you can do something else or you can do whatever you want. And, mm -hmm. and you bring whatever you've done to a class critique and people mm -hmm. go, well, uh, I feel, you know, after it. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was all right. But uh, after, a couple years uh, of that, there wasn't a lot of uh, content. And what I wanted to do, which was uh, learn to draw and paint, you couldn't do that all on your own, right? Mm -hmm. you, you needed you needed some info. We eventually ended up going to uh, getting more schooling, though I still feel most of what I learned was self-directed, but, uh, mm -hmm. but, but getting on the right, you know, learn this and learn this is helpful too. But we ended up going to Lyme Academy of Fine Arts in Connecticut mm -hmm. in the mid 1980s. Um, and uh, we're there for three years when it was really just, just forming. Uh, it actually okay. had started 10 years earlier, but it was just on the new campus and, and uh, an interesting experience. I, I, of course, did a little bit of uh, research, a little bit of reading, and uh, you were there coinciding with Dean Keller uh, because Old Lyme, even uh, even at the time, I would say in the late 90s, like early 2000s, when I was starting to kind of get into arts education or not arts education, being educated myself, that Old Lyme still had this reputation as as like a place where you could go for realism and it seemed like there's somewhat of a kind of an unbroken tradition in in that particular school just i would just love to hear about your your time there's specifically with dean keller and your other instructors what the classroom experience was like and yeah. perhaps even contrasted to the other university you attended i was pretty self-directed mm -hmm. by the time i got to ringling i knew what i needed i thought which was essentially uh, I wanted to be able to draw like Holbein and Degas. And, and so I was looking at, uh, I figured out that a lot of painters I like were building things out, reducing their curves to straight lines and angles that could give you a comparison 
you could also put that into a plumb level situation and, and get something solid to start making some comparisons to, to get your drawing, you know, just not floating around. Ring, Ringling, we, we had kind of a, I called a bastardized Nicolades. It was like Nicolades, natural way to draw, but not without uh, just, you know, here's one minute drawing, here's a five minute drawing, here's a mm-hmm. 20 minute drawing, you know, but, but no real sense of what you're trying to do with it. And, and, and so uh, that's all right, you know, but, but not when you were after. Yeah. It's not helpful to what I was trying to do. Oh, or maybe it was. I don't know. There was just a long time I was trying to figure things out. Um, by the time I got to Ringling, I knew that I wanted lots of time in front of the model and that I wanted to get my drawing going and, and that who my models were for learning to draw. And what I kind of needed to do in terms of to improve my eye that I would use this this way of approaching it. When I got to Lyme Academy, we Peggy and I rented this old house with uh, um, with someone else who was coming to study sculpture there named Steve Perkins, Stephen mm-hmm. Perkins, who's a, a terrific uh, uh, sculptor working now. He kind of turned me on to, because uh, he'd been studying for a good many years. He had studied with, a, with Henry Henchy in all these summers, and mm-hmm. he had uh, studied with a sculptor named Leslie Posey, who was a bow art sculptor, but actually studied with a little bit in Florida. And uh, he turned me on to, uh, you know, Harold Speed and this kind of thing, which was really helpful. Lyme Academy at that time needed students because it was started by, uh, how to condense this. So uh, they were, I think, happy to have me and Peggy there because we already had some chops under our belt and, and mm-hmm. knew things about, about painting. And, and we just kind of had it just have what we wanted, like models all the time. We were able to go in this class, in these classes that had morning and afternoon, five days a week studying from the model. And yeah, and Dean Keller was there and and he was this terrific guy and uh, uh, really knew his anatomy. Um, You know, his father, his father had taught at Yale forever, had been a, um, was one of the monuments men, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in Florence, uh, saving the world heritage, you know, our heritage is a great work in Florence. And yeah, that, that, that was great. Dean had a very, had more of a, a constructive Bridgman-like approach to the, the figure, not, not uh, this sort of visual approach that uh, I had keyed in on. Could I could I ask where that contrast had its kind of genesis? If because I I do get a strong sense looking at your work that that it is very powerful in terms of two D design, right? It's beautiful. You know, if you were to flatten the shapes out entirely, you'd have these fantastic proportions and design to the to the two D shapes, which of course when you combine that together with a strong sense of form, as you talked about finding these blocks and these straight lines from Harold Speed and. Uh, of course, I, I'm, I'm sure that that Keller, um, with his background, I, I assume with Bridgman, and would have had like a very strong three dimensional concept. Now yeah. you've put these two side by side. Where where did you key into this visual approach that you're you're talking about? Was it historical portraits that you'd studied, or was it something from a previous instructor or or other influence? No, I never listened to instructors too much. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Know, <laughs> I just always kind of knew what I wanted to do and what I liked. You know, I, I didn't want to miss good information. 
I, I didn't want to ignore good stuff. And you know, I loved Dean. I really tried to learn uh, what he was teaching, worked really hard at it. But the visual thing, I, you know, I think I was looking at portrait painters, Degas, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and Holbein and Valeskas. And uh, um, so that's more visually oriented uh, in mm-hmm. terms of visual shape oriented rather than constructive. It's a weakness of mine in a sense, but we all have, as far as making figure paintings, a lot, it strikes me that a lot of uh, the visual approaches that you've seen today essentially come from portrait painters, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. Hawthorne or Hinchy, Boston School. These are all portrait painters. They're not figure painters. I think yeah. a lot of our, a lot of the uh, academic training now is essentially a portrait painter's training, not a figure painter. That's just my own little aside. <laughs> mm. But, um, uh, I love that aside. That's a fascinating aside, actually, <laughs> uh, because it, it does point out also one of the things that I found leaving the academy. I mean, I was I studied, you know, for, for four years in, in, in Florence, primarily focused on the figure. Right. Obviously, we did portraiture almost as a it wasn't a sideline. I think all of yeah. us recognized more or less that that was where the career was. But right. the figure was promoted as the pursuit of people who are really dedicated and committed. However, you get out of the school and you you discover several things. One, that there are few applications for that kind of painting for a person who's practically getting started like on their own. Right. You know, um, but also, it is interesting that you mentioned because I found during my education that there were I could have done with more of the, the blocks and more of the bridgemen. Yeah. I only, as you say this, look in retrospect and say that, that, yeah, they were teaching figure painting through maybe Sargent's philosophy, who, of course, he could paint the nude, but 99% of what you see in his work and where you derive your impressions of his practice are from his portraiture. I never, right. I literally never considered this, that, that there was this kind of duality in, in the way that was being worked with. I, I think there's a late 19th century practice was really uh, uh, responding to photography, I think. Um, uh, there was uh, everything from Corbet on seems to be responding to the challenge of photography, which was this new thing. And it was truth with a capital T and all the old formulas um, of the sort of pantomime of gestures and the brown tones and all the all the thing of painting seemed in the past. And painters did not want to be on that side and wanted to be on the front side of this. Right. And uh, so the training got much more naturalistic in response to where people's eyes were. Right. The, the problem with naturalism is that you need someone sitting there. You need someone there to, especially if you're, if you, if you're bringing all those things tonally and all these things together that Mm -hmm. will kind of go one for one with photography and recreating it's very hard to have figures running through, you, you know, you need, a, you need a kind of a, uh, more of a shorthand approach to painting to really do a lot of figures and to do movement. Mm. And to, so it was something I think is never really sorted out very well. The, 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 the illustrators took a more constructive approach, but I mean, the golden age of illustrators, I don't know. That's, that's all a huge subject. And just me trying to retrain myself and retrain myself to do what it is I want to do. And then there's a whole issue of, yeah, well, who wants what you're trying to do? <laughs> but that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. 
in terms of work going towards naturalism, I would put your work in that kind of parallel category that, that I think never exactly touches naturalism. I, I wouldn't look at your paintings and think, oh, I've just walked into a room and this is the kind of tableau right. that I see before me. There's a right, lot of right. linear work. I just wanted to hear from you where that evolution started, where, where you arrived there from. You mentioned earlier that in your childhood, you were really fond of Andrew Wyeth. I find that interesting yeah. too, because I would have, if I had to split you among the Wyeths, I might have nudged you over towards N.C. Wyeth. I built on that. I'm just mentioning, because I, I just studied that Wyeth book, uh, mm. Dry Brush and Pencil Drawings that my aunt gave me when I was a okay. little boy. I just looked at it so hard. But of course, then there's uh, then your eye gets more mature. I'm not saying I put that away. I'm just saying you start going in other places. So, you, you know, Veronese and just all this, these painters. Um, as far as the, the flatness and the more decorative things and the line, it had to do with painting I liked. I never really liked making a painting that was a, a this sounds critical. I don't mean it to be a hole in the wall. I, mm -hmm. I just like right. I like it there on the wall, the surface paintings I respond to probably best have that quality. I like Sargent, but uh, I like Degas better. Hmm. I like Mary Cassatt, right? She, mm -hmm. Mary Cassatt, and Degas are both. If you if you really study on them, they're using Holbein's geometry. They're sort of lines running, uh, uh, you know, perpendicular lines, kind of framing mm -hmm. things in and a tight space and flat shapes usually with the light directly on not a lot of light broke light and shadow because that's really interesting when you look at her color choices because she's they, they seem naturalistic and you realize she's really forcing the color down to two or three color compositions it, mm -hmm. it's it's just really structured work that's interesting to me painters mm -hmm. uh there's just something jolly about line i like it mm -hmm. also like uh I think I like lighter work like Veronese and uh, work that has a, you know, I don't like a real romantic, dark kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just my personality. Uh, you know, I, I would say it probably stems a lot back to all that plain air experience. You go outside, you know, you, you want to uh, get rid of those sort of dark, deep brown shadows yeah, and get into sure. this high yeah. key world that you're, you're actually experiencing out there. Right, right, right. Something interesting too, you know, talking about all these times in Sarasota and uh, Peggy and Peggy's father and, and spending time uh, uh, being introduced to, to that world, you found yourself to be a studio painter, however. So, yeah. or at least primarily what I know of your work would be studio painting. Some of them, of course, are facsimiles of outdoor scenes and your, your more sort of composed work. Um, but most of it's primarily from observation. Most of it's in the studio. So do you... Are you one of these studio painters like myself who's looking longingly outside and thinking, ah, I should be spending more time out there? Uh, or, or is it really that, that you're, you're solely drawn to portraiture uh, as opposed to running around outside? I love being outside. I like painting out of doors. Peggy and I are both uh, like doing our own work, you know. I mean, it's, it's great to go buddy-buddy painting and stuff, but really you've got to get down to your own work and you have to develop that. There, there's these recur, reoccurring resolutions that I make. Mm -hmm. And one is to get outside more and paint. And another mm -hmm. one is to, 
go back to pure drawing and not just draw the brush to good, mm -hmm. you know, pick up the really pick up the pencil more and mm -hmm. uh, and get out more and paint. So those are ongoing resolutions. So I'm not going to admit that admit <laughs> defeat of these <laughs> desires, but it, yeah. it, but what excites me is that I'm going to have a model. I'm going to have yeah. someone to paint, and they're there. And I'm going to make a painting on the fly or or I've got a I got a commission again. Um, mm -hmm. It's someone who is there. And I'm going to paint them and we're just going to see what happens. Th yeah. There's nothing more exciting than that to, than, yeah. to, to me than that. I just really like it. And yeah. I've always really liked it. And so that's and the work that I really like, right, the most has figures in it. I've always thought of the kind of dynamic of the model coming to the studio the artist is there the training obviously has happened for years and years and years a lifetime of this and a model arrives just that day maybe you you've met them a few times maybe maybe you haven't but they arrive and you create then and there this kind of improvisation so it's a well-worn path but you're you're always going to kind of diverge from it a bit you're going to take some twists and turns and find a, a new experience each time you do it it kind of, as as you're saying this here now, I, we've taken this conversation from some of your earliest years all the way to uh, talking about how, how you making resolutions uh, uh, all the way up to probably 2022. I'm reminded that you were a big fan of jazz, are a big fan of jazz, I assume. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're really a, a musician as well. Is there any analog there that you feel in terms of you're playing a tune maybe many times but you're kind of finding different variations of it oh there's so i mean there's so much i think about paintings think about in musical terms a lot and you can strain that you can push it where it doesn't go but it does go some places i don't want to get too far off what you're asking me and please get right, far about off to go as far off as you can <laughs> but just in the structure of painting right so yeah. let's say uh you have um, you're playing a chord on the piano and it has it's all right in the middle and the harmonies are real tight. Or you have one that's Brahmsian with this note down here where the these big intervals and the voicing is very widespread. Those are very different things. And it's just so like painting. You can do a painting where all the tones are there in the middle or you can you can have where all the tones are down here dark, but one little light, one way up here for contrast. I mean, all the different ways of structuring a paint are very musical in the organization of, it's trying, or that there's a parallel there. And so when I'm thinking about the improvisation of making a painting, I'm looking for ways to organize the painting. We have a model and, and, and the, you know, and you see a gesture that suggests a, a, a rhythm in the composition. And, and I try to compose to my canvases, right? Not like I need a canvas to do that, but I've got this canvas and that mm -hmm. works like that on the canvas. And, uh, and then keying in on certain things too. So the organization of the canvas tonally rhythmically uh everything is is improvisation and and i think that all of the elements are in play line tone color you can do what you want with them you need to do what you want with them to serve 
the idea, right? So it's in, so instead of like I'm, I see that and I'm painting that and painting that and painting that. I'm I'm just trying to. I do, yeah, I see all that. But what am I going to do with it? Am, am I going to, uh, you know, am I going to compress things? Am I going to uh, leave things out? Am I going to have an emerging from a sea of murk or whatever? Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, but just trying to make something that feels musical, looks good on the wall is this thing you know the painting the painting is this thing it's it's uh that has its own logic to it that i derive from what i'm saying it is interesting to hear because there there are of course i mean as many different approaches to painting as there are people uh, in the endeavor sure one of the things that i I would have guessed about your work that I, i hear you bringing up in in your description of of your process is that you're very aware of the different components, the the different abstract formal properties that are kind of making up the work. And that's a lot of where you you make your interpretation because I think for a lot of people, it's not a given that when they stand in front of their subject, that they won't simply take everything from it. I want to maybe try and dive into that area. And I've tried to do this with several artists before. I don't know that we've ever succeeded in capturing a great conversation (laughs) about it. But the idea of uh, of linear design, of shape design, I I wonder if you have any go-to meditations about those things. I mean, I know that you're also an instructor, being a teacher myself. I know there's plenty of time-tested metaphors that I use with my students uh, to describe the way I think about those those properties. I wonder if there's anything like that you could um, you could share with us. I would think of the minimum means of arriving somewhere as kind of an ideal. Uh, my favorite paintings have always had this this contrast of great simplicity and sensitivity. Where, where, where you have just infinite, uh, a Degas or a Holbein would be mm-hmm. a good example, where, where you have this unbelievable sensitivity to the, uh, to the sitter, mm-hmm. to the form of the face, to the contours, to the most delicate things that you could, you could, you could never know how to do. You just have to achieve it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, flat areas, these, these, big bold areas of color or or tone that are just really knock your eyes out when you see the work and and that that range and to me you derive that you you can only get there by this approach of if you can do something with this minimal means hit it in that minimal way another thing is have um i don't like a bunch of uh I want things to trying to learn how to work where things mean something when I put them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, so I'm not confused with a bunch of, because I, I don't pre, generally do not pre-draw or use dry media. I just go in with paint. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and matter of fact, I usually don't sketch it out. Uh, I usually go in with masses, mm-hmm. right. It's just like a mass for the, the drawing is like on the top. Right. So I so I put in the mass of the skin of the light, not skin. It's just light shape of the head, shirt, light shape, whatever. And try to arrange these and and try to get these patterns uh, where I'm happy with them, where they're solving the problem 
and mm -hmm. uh, and then compose out of those shapes of light and dark, and then draw into the top of them. This isn't a perfect little. <laughs> what this isn't what you're asking me. <laughs> um, no, but I, I do love that idea because um, the idea of, of the drawing being on the top. I think right. I think again, it it speaks to this. I, I don't want to call it a philosophy, but I, I look at your work and I look at different artists work and being, you know, an academic myself, you know, I spend a lot of time analyzing how an artist is doing something. And, and I know that obviously there's a lot of meaning attached uh, in all of those in all of those things. But what I do want to extract from what you're saying, and I have I've written down, I, I take notes before each of these episodes um, yeah. and I've written down here. <laughs> that I wanted to bring up the the quote to you because I feel like it very much yeah. embodies your approach that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. When I hear you talking about that process of, of building up your painting, um, you're talking about using as little information as possible to arrive at your at your target or at your goal, and right. and that speaks to a tremendous amount of editing, right? You taking things away. Um, and 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 therefore, of course, using things at different stages. Are there different phases of detail to your painting? Uh, would you say that that ultimately, even that your paintings are detailed at all? I don't look at it as editing, because editing suggests that painting is a subtractive process when it's an additive process. So there's nothing there, and so. And, and so I'm just adding what the painting wants. I'm getting it started and the painting tells me the rest, you know, and it, it needs that. It needs that. And and uh, and and so I'll I'll be painting from the models and I'll take the painting away and stick it on a wall. And uh, as I'm painting and uh, take a break, you know, and 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 go look at it on the wall and think, well, and walk across. And is this working as a painting? What's not working? Work on it some there on the wall to to make sure um, th that it's happening away from the model. Uh, but I'm going back to say, so the idea of editing, yes, of course, there's editing because painting is both additive and subtract uh, subtractive because you put stuff down there and you think, well, I don't want that. And you take a knife to it or that that isn't helpful. But but essentially, I do try to tell my students to to don't think about it as a subtractive process, you know, don't say, it's like, why did you, well, why did you, uh, what, what is this little bit of chair sticking out there looking kind of funny? Well, it was there. Mm -hmm. What kind of reason is that? Because it was there. <laughs> what does that have to do with a, a painting? You sure. know, but you mm -hmm. invited that thing in, not even thinking about, it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, the, so that's kind of where I am in my thinking on editing. And, and that's related to something the other end, I'm not one of these people I'm so impressed by. They'll, you'll ask them three hard questions and they'll have them all remember by the end of the response. I'm not that. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. Join, join the club. I'm there with you. I, I answer one question, I ramble off, and then uh, I've completely forgotten right. the second one. That, that's, that's totally okay uh, because eventually, like I said, you know, I, I really just want to get to the stuff that, that uh, you find yourself excited to, um, uh, to talk about. About this additive and, and subtractive process, as you put it, you know, why did you right. put that, that little bit of the chair in there? Why did you invite it into the painting? Did you always feel this liberty or was there a moment in your, your training and your career as a representational artist where you 
maybe didn't feel the confidence to do that? Or would you say from day one, you were like, hey, wait a minute, that looks awkward. No, I'm leaving it out. I'm it, not interested. It's hard knocks. Definitely hard knocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, what what um, I'll, I'll give two, I think I can remember this, two different examples. One, going out with my wife, who's just a tremendous painter early on, right? And we'd be painting side by side. She'd be working on this giant canvas. I'd be working on this little thing out of doors. And I'd be looking at her work and I'd think, man, that's kind of crude, you know? And you're just hitting that so so strongly i'm seeing this little value being this and all these little delicate and i'm getting all this and and we bring them back in and this happened over and over we bring them back in and hers just kicked my butt all over the room i'm just fell apart it was just a wishy-washy nothing on the wall because it was no good and uh so you know um it took me long enough to get that lesson um that you have to be out there making a painting you know you're not just collecting daisies. And the other one, I said I was going to remember these two different. Yeah, yeah. So also, um, I had been when I was at Lyme Academy uh, trying to get some skills together. Uh, painter Aaron Schickler came and and taught there for a while. Who was a leading portrait painter and good painter. The the first uh, year he was there teaching, he'd go back to New York. He'd be there two days a month. We'd set up a pose for a month, um, morning and afternoon, three days a week, one pose for a painting mm -hmm. for a month. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, you could copy that. You could just get all this beautiful stuff happening, draw it out, do all this. The person's paid there to sit, mm -hmm. uh, really get. Uh, and, and what do you do? How do you take that into a situation where you're trying to paint a child, you're trying to paint a child from life? Um, you've got, if you're lucky, you've got a couple of sessions to really get something happening. Mm. How do you make a painting out of that situation? What does this other thing have anything to do with it? it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so what do you extract from, well, you better think about the elements. And, and I never wanted to do the kind of painting, just didn't appeal, the sort of uh, sergeant-esque, swishy, brights, get a few uh, effects of, you know, the highlight on this and that and, and all kind of blurred out. Maybe it's okay. You know, that never something that felt solid. How do you get something that's solid in just a few sessions? Well, I had to figure that out. And so a lot of my, a lot of what I learned was from trying to paint portraits from life in just a few days and make something that I thought was interesting that I liked. Uh, I'm just horrified by making paintings I don't like or I don't respond to or not the way I want to do it. Right. So, uh, so those two, those two examples of, yeah, I, this is learned stuff. Why would you invite that into the, why would you invite something in that's going to cause you this whole composition trouble that isn't, doesn't even relate to what you're trying to get it doesn't matter it's just uh it's just an accident what they were wearing or what or the light or whatever it's just an accident and you're letting it control the whole painting why yeah flipping that around and, and learning to work from what the painting needs no that's that's wonderful i i'm also <laughs> it's a kind of side detail to what you were saying but right. i'm i'm interested to hear the length of time that you described for the long poses, the figure paintings that you were doing at right. Lime Academy, 
Now, I had a similar experience. It was uh, three hours a day, five days a week for five weeks. Uh, so we do about yeah. 75 hours per figure drawing. And right. subsequently, right? I mean, even if you take into account that, that of course, it's from life and these are students doing it, so they're going to take a lot of wrong turns. I eventually feel like 75 hours was... Um, it gave way too much opportunity for the work to expand for the time available. Is my feeling about it, and it sounds like you you might have had a similar reflection. Do you do you feel like that was an excessive amount of time in retrospect that that you would have maybe uh, it would have been more interesting to have studied uh, brief poses, um, uh, more direct approach to painting? I don't know. I I do think it was too much time, especially it was undirected. Aaron wasn't even there. I was class monitor and they were, and you know, he would come back after being gone for a month and come down and just roast us alive. You know, he's so disappointed in how crappy our work was, you know, <laughs> uh, he was hilarious. But um, again, I'm sort of a self-directed guy. And so I really did want to, paddle about and try to figure this thing out and mm. and i never wanted a heavy hand from an mm. instructor you know mm. do this or this is the right way or or uh, i didn't want that people are different and so and so i don't know that i can draw a universal out of it i do mm. think that was too much time on a post it was the next year we did it a day was taken away so it was morning and afternoon and Aaron would want to set up these kind of modernistic poses too. And I was left mm -hmm. there trying to deal with the models. And then after two weeks, they're, they're in pain. That's just the way it was. I don't know if I can bring, bring a lesson out of that. Um, I did try my first paintings that I tried doing, uh, uh, and they're terrible, of course, but uh, when I was trying to go out and paint people, they would sit there for a long time. You know, we mm -hmm. do, we tried to do that. But, you know, I learned how to uh, abbreviate and, and the line had something to do with that. Uh, using a heavy canvas, a really heavy weave, you know, big brushes and, and line. I read in some old book at some point early on about how it was, this was epiphany to me. And uh, I've since seen it other places that, uh, you know, you use your line depends on whether you're describing the edge of the background or the edge of the form, right? If it's dark behind the figure you're describing the edge of the background, you know, if your line, if it's on the, if it's on, um, uh, if it's on the light side of the figure and the background's not as dark, you're describing the edge of the form term, the edge of the figure, be sensitive to what your line is describing mm -hmm. and, and don't mix it up, you know, and, and it's like, mm -hmm. bing, that opened up the world that you could make this great, you could use that as an abbreviation of space, mm -hmm. that line could represent space that lines could be space. They could represent space if you were sensitive to their function against the light on the form. When you're working nowadays, now I look at your portraits and what is obvious to see is that there's a tremendous, I mean, there's a lifetime obviously of, of work and, and effort and, and learning that's gone into to making these. They are deceptively easy looking they're they're very easy on the eye <laughs> so i i'm i'm curious are are they kind of labored processes are you having models in dozens of sittings or or really are they coming in you're 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 relying on the vision in that moment and uh, maybe there's a couple sittings with the model are they labor intensive or are they things that you kind of find in the moment 
they they resolve themselves also in the moment. Oh, it's labor intensive. Okay. It's getting rid of stuff and repainting stuff and scratching stuff out and and trying to make it uh, trying to make it work. And uh, it's like you know, I have a daughter who's a ballet dancer and uh, career ballet dancer, and uh, you know that little um, that little variation that you see that's lighter than air has bloody feet. I don't want the work to be acknowledged, you know, to be sending out signals for how hard I work or, 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 or I want it to just work as a, something that's just nice to look at and lovely and, and that I respond to. I, I, you know, I don't want this sort of consolation prize of, well, I can see you worked hard on that. You know, <laughs> it's not the to me, that's not what it's about. Mm. You know, and so, and so, yeah, you, you're, uh, you're trying to make something just uh, painting is so complex that you can't talk about it. It divides into, so so you're saying, well, you don't want it to be about the work yet. Painting is about seeing the artist hand. It is about it, it. That becomes part of the aesthetic, but a certain ease to it is necessary into reading the painting and a difficulty will tell i'm going to make a i'm going to make a uh, a musical comparison again let's do and it let, let, if you're practicing something and it's it's uh it's a hard passage and it's going to take uh the, all the passages around it you can you can play them 50 times and It'll it'll sound good and and uh, and then you've got this this passage this little naughty passage that you need to play two thousand times to hope of working out the difficulties of it. Um, well, the trick is to have it just be lay with the other ones, mm-hmm. and so you really have to really work at at least me is is. If you stop at the same, if you start that difficult passage at exactly the same point and end it at the same point, you will be practicing a pause in the music. It just will mm-hmm. be there. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be separated. It won't flow through. And so to practice that, I, I'll start it at different times, right? All different times, I'll, I'll, I'll start going into that passage on a different note, a different way, so that so that it won't have this this stop mm. or this pause or that it or just you feel it right mm. you feel this like oh here it comes mm. <laughs> you know and and in painting it's like that too if there's some if there's something that's really hard a little the way the fingers are or the hands or or, or, or or something it's very easy to have if you to have that difficulty become the thing even if you're trying not to and you're simplifying it kind of tells right yeah. and it becomes yeah. a it becomes a a point in the painting where the flow of the painting stops on that or it, it can even become a focus of the painting when you don't realize yeah. it trying to um make a painting try not to have that happen well uh that that's a trick and 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 but it has to do with the whole presentation of the language of the painting, right? The context of everything else in the painting, how things are presented, and again, all the elements and what can be left out, what needs to be in there, all those come in play. But mm-hmm. to making it work as an ensemble with this fitting into its place. There was something else I wanted to um, uh, I wanted to jump back to. 
because it's yeah. a theme uh, that I've I've heard you bring up a few times, and I just want to kind of interrogate it for a moment. Now, you've said that you're kind of a, a, a self-driven guy, uh, and I totally get that. I mean, I think you find a lot that personality in artists that have kind of excelled in their field is that, you know, certainly they they worked with different artists and they worked with different teachers, but without right. the, the self-driven bit, they never would have arrived much of anywhere. Yeah. As a self-driven person, you were pursuing these ideas uh, on your own time as well. Were there books that were a big influence on you? Were you reading different artists or was your pursuit, did that take the shape of, was it more work intensive? Was it more studio time, your, your drive, or was it also uh, ancillary um, uh, activities, reading, uh, et cetera? I think more looking at paintings and trying to figure out how they were put together, mm -hmm. paintings I like, than mm -hmm. some reading, you know, I would have been really interested had, uh, Velasco's written a book, but he did. He wrote, you know, I'm sure he's a better painter than he would have been writer. So you can read sure. the paint if you if you get, you can start to read what people are doing. I think it's looking at paintings and the self-driven. I think also came from a certain I don't know the certain confidence in my own my own instincts that I always had, and and maybe I was unfairly putting my teachers up against work I liked. Mm. right mm -hmm. it's like yeah that's interesting what you have to say but i'm looking at this and mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> you know that's but well, i mean yeah. i think uh, uh i don't mind that in a student i think students mm -hmm. a little bit of um look that's okay mm. or whether it is it it needs to be okay Mm. The perfect yeah. student isn't the perfect student. You need you need a little bit oh, of. Oh, uh... that's just beautifully said. That's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. You don't want somebody just saluting and just doing what they're told. Um, my wife, um, is also a teacher, uh, she refers to kind of bricks and balls, right? Like that uh, brick will only move as far as you push it, but a ball, you give it a bit of momentum, it rolls on its own. So there's that that element to it where I think it's requisite for a student that you have a even a little bit of a critical. I had that absolutely in spades for my teachers. Yeah. I was so critical of them all the time, you know. Right. Thinking, right oh, right. do you know what you're talking about? Let me cross-reference it to this thing I heard over here and let me double check that and so yeah. on. Sometimes to the detriment of the trust in the relationship. And in retrospect, perhaps I could have been uh more. Or, or let's say less unruly, but um, you know nobody's perfect, and and definitely uh, I wasn't. What's the song? I you know I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now, right? The uh, the Bob Dylan song, the birds did, but right. uh, but you you know a lot that you have to uh, realize you don't know, and mm -hmm. and looking at painters, you know we had like books on even even looking at painters had books on Rembrandt, you know, and then my mother was like, oh, she loved Rembrandt, you know, and I was like, oh, that looks awful. And uh, and then later on, you realize how brilliant Rembrandt is, you know, over, you see, you realize the etchings and then all those beautiful drawings. And then you see, uh, you know, what he's doing in painting. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, should I have slapped my former self around a bit? Yeah, sure, I deserved it, but that's just the way it works, you know. That's all for the show. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email theatelierforum at gmail.com with any thoughts, suggestions, or questions you have about the show. That's all for now, and I'll see you in the next episode. 